Blog Talk Radio. Once again, we're coming to you live from the Eastern Radio Show Studio in St. Augustine, Ponte Vedra, Florida. Thanks for listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. And we have some honors to be given during the show. And to all the listeners around the world, we say welcome. Join us as we celebrate the life of Eastern Airlines every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight time. Before we go into our show, I would like to, I'd like all of our hosts and our listeners and callers to take a moment to remember those in the Bahamas where Eastern Airlines served proudly and throughout the path of Hurricane Dorian, who lost their lives and their properties in this enormous tragedy. So we'll take a brief moment of silence. Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, it's great having you with us. My name is Jim Hart, and it's certainly great being back with the radio show after being away trying to take care of my health issues. I'm fine now and coming to you live from the beautiful island of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, where the weather today was 72 degrees and no humidity, but get this addition to it. The National Weather Service has told us that just 200 miles north of us here, they may expect frost this evening. That's kind of early, isn't it? Welcome and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we become Eastern Airlines international radio show with over 50 countries listening in at this time. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is to call 213-816-1611 and just say hello, the 
talk with us on the air live every Monday evening. We can identify many countries around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out, not only to the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the Eastern Radio Show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.easternradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Eddy. That's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. Remember to abbreviate, abbreviate the word captain to CAPT, C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat that number uh, so you can write it down for your next Monday night visits, 213-816-1611. And by the way, tell your friends about us. Our membership is growing. We're well over 1,000 now. And don't forget you can listen to any of our 425 Monday nightly broadcasts and the 100-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blog talk radio.com forward slash capped eddie that's c-a-p-t-e-d-d-i-e and scrolling down to the archives of the broadcast each episode is briefly described we're over 500 episodes now with from the eastern files and the eastern old time radio series and as i like to say holy blue sunoco That's some accomplishment, isn't it, in the last few years? Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask you to please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. Wow, I see we're number one for takeoff, so Captain, let's get flight number 428 in the air. Tower Blur is Tonight we want to honor an Eastern captain, close friend of mine, and and other uh, Eastern pilots uh, included on this show. Uh, captain Harold Hal Nord Jr. passed away unexpectedly July the second this year at Vieira Hospital. He was born on December 28, 1928, in Manistee, Michigan. 
and he was the son of Harold Nord Sr. and Anna Nord. Captain Nord was a graduate of Manistee High School, Michigan State University, 1950, and Emory Riddle University with an MBA in 1993. He served his country in the United States Air Force beginning 1950 in active duty and concluded as a reservist when he retired with the rank of major. Captain Nord's career as a pilot includes numerous citations and awards, and he amassed over 33,000 hours of flight time without incident, earning him the Orville and Wilbur Wright Award for Excellence. Howe belonged to numerous local civic and aviation groups, including the Eastern Airlines Retired Pilots Association, REPA, the Rotary Club, and Quiet Birdman, to name only a few. He flew in combat zones to bring soldiers home from Vietnam during that war, and as an Alaska pilot, he had an extraordinary history. During his career with Eastern Airlines, he flew numerous aircraft from the Electra to the L-1011. Captain Nord continued in retirement working in presidential campaigns and civic events and aviation affairs. He survived by his family, uh, fiance Audrey Spinney of Vieira, Florida, along with children Harold III in St. Augustine, Florida, and Carol, Karen Nord in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We found a, a beautiful rendering of the song High Flight, which uh, most airmen, uh, especially organizations of aviators, uh, go to to honor those that uh, have flown west. And, of course, uh, most of you have heard this before, but I found a rendering, a beautiful rendering of the song High Flight, first done by John Denver, and uh, lyrics were written some lyrics were uh, included in that song, and uh, I think you'll you'll like this song, and it's uh, very respectful to Captain Hal Hal Nord.
That was done by the United States Air Force Singing Sergeants. They're beautiful. I remember how all around the property, eastern property, uh, between flights or checking in or going on the crew bus back to the parking lot and really didn't get to know him until I listened to Hal jump up out of his seat when the business meetings, Jim Holder, were open for discussion at the very beginning. It seems like Hal was always the first guy out of his chair to talk about yeah. REPA business. And That's a fact. And then when Gene Casadabon, Captain Casadabon, uh, in his presidency with REPA, uh, came up with the idea of uh, a scholarship program for young aviators that uh, were in college and and uh, we were, uh, he we, he asked for a committee, and of course uh, Hal volunteered, and I volunteered, Whitey John volunteered, Bill Moore volunteered, and uh, Al Brelaw, and most all of them are gone now, including Hal recently. And um, Hal was fun to work with; he really was. I went to Sun and Fun uh, one year with Hal and. Uh, we decided that we'd share a room together. And uh, we couldn't get close to the Lakeland Airport. We had to go all oh, about 15 miles away from Lakeland to a new hotel that just opened up and needed the business, I guess. But uh, uh, we shared a room and uh, did a lot of talking, listened to how mostly. Uh, he had a lot to say. And uh, we went uh, after that. I'd always see him at the a sun and fun fly in, and um, uh, we had to choose a a college that uh, was aviation oriented. We thought of of Embry Riddle because both he and I went there, and we thought of that program. and And then someone had mentioned Auburn University, so of course Hal volunteered. Hey, let's drive over to Auburn and and talk to them. So once again, we shared a room over in Auburn. And we drove over and talked to the uh, the uh, dean of the uh, aerospace uh, program that they have going there. Went out to the airport, Opelik, I guess it's pronounced, and saw the aircraft they were using. And, of course, uh, on the drive back, uh, we decided that that's where it ought to be. And they've done a wonderful job of, of providing scholarships through the Retired Eastern Pilots Association Foundation, Scholarship Foundation, done a wonderful job. So we've been in touch during that time, and and uh, how how the third, how Junior the third sent me the obituary that I read, and uh, he lives not too far from me, and how Senior or how Junior, how uh, Junior, I guess his father was the senior, how Hal's father. Oh, it's complicated when you go into the juniors and seniors and the thirds and seconds. But at any rate, um, he lives not too far from me. And Hal came up to visit his son often, and he always made it a point to stop by my office here where we were broadcasting tonight. It was always fun talking with Hal. He he would always come up with a a different idea and uh, came up with ideas of opening an air, uh, starting an airline again and, and uh, it, it was just uh, the guy was uh, something else, and it was uh, a privilege for me and an honor for me to uh, know how uh, the many years that uh, we did have an association together. 
So that's my thoughts about Hal and Jim Holder. Do you like to add a few comments about his REPA activities and how you knew him? Yeah, I'll be glad to. It's uh, it's a bit of a story, and I'm going to start out without mentioning Hal. And back in 1985, I really had I never flew with Hal, and I certainly didn't know him very well, if at all. But I was the Atlanta Air Alpha chairman, and a young fellow, a young second officer, I can't recall his last name, but his first name was Jim. He was a 727 second officer and check airman. Well, one Sunday afternoon on a regular weekend drill down in Jacksonville, he flew with uh, uh, Air Guard T-33, which was a target airplane for the Air Guard down there. And there was about three or four, I don't know if they were flying F-86s or what, but they were going to be making passes on him. And the guy that was supposed to fly the T-Bird, uh, for whatever reason, didn't show up. Well, they pressured him because if he did not fly that scheduled three-ship attack, those planes would have to be canceled, the whole thing, and they'd made big plans about it. Well, anyhow, he did fly, which he shouldn't have. And somehow, Atlanta chief pilot Wayne Hagler found out about it. I never did find out how he found out. So late one night, Wayne called me to tell me he was going to fire this young fella, this second officer, the next morning, and I might want to come. Well, I told him I sure did want to come. And I told Wayne on the phone, I said, that is way too harsh. And if he gave him a month on the ground, we would not even file agreements. I guaranteed Wayne that. But he said, well, the pilots are abusing sick leave, and I'm going to make an example out of this fellow. This is one of his own check airmen. Well, the next morning I was there, and he did fire Jim. He was a second check airman, had a perfect record, which Wayne acknowledged. I felt he was trying to impress Miami. So here's where Hal Nord comes in. I asked Jim to contact some captains who might write a letter supporting him, and his first name was Hal Nord. So I called <laughs> Hal at home, and he had a letter ready the next day. He had flown with him and knew the guy. And he also called Wayne Hagler about it, gave him a lot of guidance, big time, just like I was giving him. So I remembered Hal doing that, and it must have worked. Because about 10 or 12 days later, Wayne decided he was catching hell all around to put in a letter in the boy's file, and back to work he came. Hal Nord had a big hand in that, and I thanked him. And that's how I met Hal Nord. Listen, it's got a sequel to this story. A few years later, after Lorenzo stole Easter, our Jim, the guy that got fired, I don't blame him, he was hired by Delta, and I bet you he was hired as a Boeing 767 captain. I wish I you his nice name so I could find out. And that's my Hal Nord story. Good story, Jim. Good story. <laughs> Great story. Hal was that guy, and he was dapper. He dressed the part. He I uh, can always see him at Reaper conventions wearing a white suit and straw hat, you know, oh, the, the, the fedora. He was sharp, and, man. He was sharp. Yeah, he was always dressed to the uh, tents. Or whatever you call it, mm-hmm. I'll miss Hal. I'll miss him coming into the office when he visited his son. So, um, Hal, thanks for thanks for being there for so many people and and uh, just being Hal. It looks like it was moving slowly. It lined itself up to hit the building directly. 
that September day Out in the yard Your wife and children Working on some stage in L.A. Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky Did you shout out in anger and fear for your neighbor Or did you just sit down and cry Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble and sobbed for the ones left below? Did you burst out in pride for the red, white, and blue? The heroes who died just doing what they did. Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer? Look at yourself and what really matters. I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a one of those almost looks like one of those planned implosions. We've got a very dramatic audio timeline of the morning of September 11th. Some of these audio tapes became declassified just last year. Combined with what was previously released, these tapes offer perhaps the most dramatic timeline of the moments the hijackings were taking place. We hear voices of people on the front lines, including a flight attendant on board a hijacked plane. We're going to start with her. Betty Ong, she was on board American Airlines Flight 11 at 8.19 a.m. Eastern Time. This is just about 27 minutes before that flight hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center. She called her colleagues on the ground. This is the first time that anyone outside those planes finds out what's going on. Let's listen to Betty Ong. The cockpit's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Just five minutes later at 8.24 a.m. Eastern Time, just 22 minutes before impact on the North Tower, you hear the haunting voice of the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta. Boston air traffic control picks up his voice in the cockpit as he's talking to the passengers. Listen to Mohammed Atta. Is that American 11 trying to call? We have some planes. Just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We're returning to the airport. And uh, who's trying to call me here? American 11, are you trying to call? Nobody move. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any move, you danger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. Just incredible to hear the voice of the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta. Now, just over half an hour later, at 9.02 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, air traffic controllers trying to figure out what's going on with the second plane. This is United Airlines Flight 175. Follow the purple track here. It has already looped south of New York, heading north toward the south tower of the World Trade Center and two air traffic controllers practically narrate the impact. Take a listen. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you, can you see God about 4,000 feet about 5 east of the airport right now? Looks like he's... Yeah, I see him. You see God, look, is he descending for the building also? He's descending really quick too, yeah. 
Well, that's 2,500 feet now. He just dropped 800 feet in like, a, like one, one sweep. That's, that's another situation. Who, what kind of airplane is that? Can you guys tell? I don't know. I'll read it out in a minute. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Another wow. one just hit it hard. Another one just hit the roof side. The whole building just uh, came apart. Holy smokes. Take you forward to uh, just about a half hour later, 9.28 a.m. Eastern Time. You've got air traffic control trying to track United Airlines Flight 93. Cleveland Air Traffic Control is trying to get another flight, American Airlines Flight 1060, to help find Flight 93. But that Cleveland controller picks up some audio from inside Flight 93. If you listen carefully, you can hear people screaming. And listen very carefully, you'll hear someone say, seemingly saying, we're all going to die in here. Listen. That's American 1060. And of course, just minutes later, that plane hits the ground in southern Pennsylvania in the town of Shanksville. The Rutgers University Law Review has released some of this material to hear some of these haunting audio tapes and other unforgettable moments, including stories that you've not heard before, Tune in to CNN's documentary, Footnotes of 9-11, with Drew Griffin, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on CNN. Brian Todd, CNN, Washington. Nearly every American above a certain age remembers precisely where they were on September 11, 2001. For a small handful of Americans, many of them among the most senior officials in the U.S. government, that day conjures memories of a bunker underneath the White House built for the Cold War but never used until that Tuesday morning 18 years ago. Well, Dorothy, what had begun as an odd incident with the crash of American Airlines Flight 11 into the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8.46 a.m. quickly escalated 17 minutes later, when United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower. As the world realized the country was under attack, Vice President Dick Cheney and senior White House uh, aides were rushed into the bunker under the White House, known as the Presidential Emergency Operations Center, the PEOC. There, underneath the executive mansion's north lawn, they tried to figure out how many more hijacked planes there were in the air. They knew of at least one, United Flight 93. The excerpt from the, from the forthcoming book, quote, The Only Plane in the Sky, An Oral History of 9-11, Avid Reader Press, is based on a transcript of 9-11 calls and cockpit voice recorders from September 11th, as well as both primary source interviews with key participants conducted as early as 2002 and supplemental origin interviews by the author as recent as spring, including the first interview for the Navy officer who ultimately asked Cheney for the authority to shoot down hijacked airliners. Interviews have been edited and condensed for clarity. Now let's listen to Cleveland Center trying to communicate with United Flight 93. 
Is that it, Neil? Yes, that, that's the end of the clip. Go ahead, Dorn. Uh, the following quotes are from Lieutenant Heather Lucky Penny, played by Colleen DeFleece. Brigadier General David Weirley, played by Mike Scott. Lieutenant Colonel Mark Sesville, played by Jim Holder. Colonel George Degon, played by Don Gagnon. Major General Larry Arnold, played by Chuck Albright. And now a I need to read this. Region Commander has declared that we can shoot down tracks that do not respond to our... Uh, to our okay. I'll pass out the weapons. Okay. The region, com- the region Commander has declared that we can shoot down aircraft that do not respond to our direction. Copy that? Copy that, sir. So if you're trying to divert somebody and he won't divert... He's saying no. No? Came over the chat. Fox, you got a conflict on that? You got a conflict on that direction? Right now, no. Okay. Okay. okay, you read that from the Vice President, right? Vice President has cleared. Vice President has cleared us to intercept tracks. You know what they do? Shoot them down if they do not respond first on our CC. Lieutenant Heather Lucky Penny, an F-16 pilot, D.C. Air National Guard. This sounds counterintuitive, uh, but when the magnitude of the situation hit me, I really lost all emotion. It was really much more focused on what are the things I need to do to enable us to protect our capital, or what are the things I need to do to facilitate us getting airborne. Brigadier General David Worley, Commander, D.C. Air National Guard, Andrews Air Force Base, Maryland. My translation of the rules to SAS was, quote, you have the weapons free flight, lead control, end quote. I said, quote, do you understand what I'm asking you to do, question mark, end quote. Sasserville and Penny both said yes. I told them to be very careful. Lieutenant Colonel Mark Sasserville, F-16 pilot, United States Air Force. As we were going out to the jets, Lucky and I had a quick conversation about what it is that we were going to do and how we were basically going to do unthinkable if we had to. We would be ramming the aircraft. We didn't have missiles on board to shoot the airplane down. As we were putting on our flight gear in the life support shop, Sass looked at me and said, I'll ram the cockpit. I made the decision I would take the tail off the aircraft. We didn't have a whole lot of options. I had never been trained to scramble or mobilize the aircraft. It would typically take about 20 minutes to start the jets, get the avionics system going, go through all the pre-flight checks to make sure the systems were operating properly, program the computers in the aircraft. That's not even including the time to look at the forms, do the walk around of the airplane and whatnot. We usually planned about half an hour to 40 minutes from the time you walked out the door to the time that you actually took off. Colonel George Dagon, Vice President, 113th Wing, Andrews Air Force Base. Quote, we did everything humanly possible to get the aircraft in the air. I just got my radios up, and I was yelling at my crew chief, pull the chocks. He pulled the chocks, and I pushed my throttle. The crew chief was still running under the tail so that my gear would come up. 
there are safety pins that are all in the airplane. And so they were pulling all those safety pins as I was taxing to go do an immediate takeoff. I didn't even have an inertia navigation unit. I didn't have any of that set up. It was lucky it was a clear blue day because we didn't have all the avionics. They were not yet awake when we took off. I was thinking, wow, we're in a little trouble here. Sass and I fully expected to intercept Flight 93 and take it down. I was going into this moral or ethical justification of the needs of the many versus the needs of the few. I genuinely believed that was going to be the last time I took off. If we did it right, this would be it. I'm Major General Larry Arnold, Commander of the 1st Air Force, the Continental United States North American Airspace Defense Command, Tyndall Air Force Base, Florida. Bob Morrow quoted me as saying that I told him we would, quote, take lives in the air to save lives on the ground. Seeing the Pentagon was surreal. It was totally surreal to see this billowing black smoke. We didn't get high. We were about 3,000 feet. We never got above 3,000 feet, at least, on that first sweep out. There was all this smoke in the cockpit. It made me nauseous, to be honest with you. Not from a urge distinct. It was more like, oh, my God, we've been hit on our own soil, and we've been hit big. I couldn't believe they had gotten through, and they managed to pull off this attack. The real heroes are the passengers on Flight 93 who were willing to sacrifice themselves. Yes, they made the decision we didn't have to make. Aboard Flight 93, in the final minutes of United Airlines Flight 93, passengers and crew used the plane's in-seat Airphones to call friends, family, and airline operators to communicate about the hijacking. A few minutes before 10 a.m., United Flight 93 passenger Edward Felt, a 41-year-old married father of two, who was traveling as part of his job as a computer engineer for BEA Systems, called 911 from the plane and reached emergency dispatcher John Shaw in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. It was the first tip to Pennsylvania authorities that there was trouble in the skies overhead. This is an abridged transcript of their call. Hijacking and Excuse me, somebody reporting a... Hijacking in progress. Sir, I'm losing you. Where are you? Uh, United Flight 93. Wait a minute. Wait, United. United, Flight 93. Hijacking. Hijacking in progress. Okay. Where are you? Where are you? I'm in the bathroom of of United, Flight 93. Okay. Where are you? I I, I don't know. Where are you? I, I don't know where the plane is. Where did you take off? Newark to San Francisco. Okay, I got it on the phone with me, sir. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, uh, I'm, I don't know what we're what's going on. Hey, somebody get the FAA, Newark and San Francisco, and they got a hijacking in progress. 
Okay, yeah. Get somebody from the airport in line. This is a hijacking in progress. Dorothy Alice Hoagland, mother of the Mark Bigham passenger of United Flight 93. The uniqueness of Flight 93 is that it was in the air longer than the other flights. People on board were able to find out about the fate of the other three flights and mount an effort to thwart the hijackers, even if they weren't able to save their own lives. Dina Burnett, wife of Tom Burnett, passenger, United Flight 93. It was silent and I could feel my heart racing on the phone with my husband, Tom. Tom said, we're waiting until we're over a rural area. We're going to take back this airplane. I became very frightened, and I begged, no, Tom, no, just sit down, be still, be quiet, and don't draw attention to yourself. He said, no, Dina, if they're going to crash this plane, we're going to have to do something. I asked. What about the authorities? He said, we can't wait for the authorities. I don't know what they can do anyway. It's up to us. He said, I think we can do it. Neither of us said anything for a few seconds. Then I said, what do you want me to do? What can I do? Pray, Dina, just pray. I'm praying, and I love you. Tom said, don't worry. We're going to do something. Then he hung up. He never called back. One passenger, Tom Beamer, reached a Verizon Airphone operator, Lisa Jefferson. As that plane took a dive, I could hear the commotion in the background. I heard the flight attendant screaming, people hollering out, oh, my God, Jesus, help us. He asked me if he didn't make it, would I please call his wife? I told him I would, but I asked him if he would like me to connect him to her right now. He said no, he didn't want to upset her. She was expecting their third child in January, and he knew she was home alone. He gave me his home phone number. Elizabeth Glick, wife of Jerry Glick, passenger United Flight 93. Jeremy said there were three other guys as big as him, and they were going to jump in the hijacker with the bomb and try to take back the plane. He asked if I thought that was a good idea. We debated a little bit. He said that they were going to take a vote and asked what did I think he should do. I said, you need to do it. Uh, He's a very strong man and large, 6 feet 220. He was a national judo champion, so he was really well equipped with the self-defense. He was joking. I have my butter knife from breakfast. Despite everything, he was able to be a little bit humorous. And he said, okay, I'm going to put the phone down. I'll be right back. I love you. Philip Bradshaw, husband of Sandra Bradshaw, flight attendant, United Flight 93. We talked about how much we loved each other and our children. Then she said, quote, Everyone is running to first class. I got to go. Goodbye. Unquote. Those were the last words I heard from her. Lisa Jefferson. Todd turned to someone else and he said, Are you ready? I could hear them. They responded. He said, 
okay, let's roll. And that was the last thing I heard. At 10.03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 93 crashed into an abandoned coal mine in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. All 40 passengers and a crew aboard were killed, as were the four hijackers. From the forthcoming book, The Only Plane in the Sky, an oral history of 9-11 by Garrett M. Graff, to be published by Avid Reader Press. An imprint of Simon & Schuster, Incorporated, and is permitted, uh, permitted by permission. Sounds vary from various clips found on the Internet and placed in this production by the EAL radio show. And I want to thank all of you hosts for doing something um, very hard to do. It's very hard, and I'm sure there's some wet eyes just like mine. And um, what a tragic event. And it's only two days from now. Um, any comments that you folks would like to make? We'd like to hear your It was a hard read. About. It was a hard read. You're right, Don. I thought I was going to crack up myself. Well, I think, uh, um, Colleen, you, you knew a flight attendant or you knew some folks with uh, the United uh, Tragedy, didn't uh, you? Yes, sir. Can you talk about that crew. just a minute? The whole crew. Yeah, when I, stopped, when I stopped shaking. <laughs> um, it was difficult. I wasn't sure I'd be able to do this, and I, I did realize my voice was shaking. But, yes, I was with United, and I knew the entire crew on 93. I was Newark-based just like they were. And uh, I flew out mm. Newark to San Francisco the day before. Um, which I thought was kind of strange, too. It was supposed to be Newark, San Fran, Orange County, and a layover. And uh, we had a, a, a fire at Newark Airport, so the airport was shut down for a while. It was at the far end of the property, and uh, so they closed the airport for a while, which screwed everything up, and we had all kinds of delays, and our plane was coming in from California and went to Kennedy, and Eventually, it came over to us. We got on, but by that time, they had they had uh, um, rescheduled the San Fran to Orange County portion with the uh, San Fran crews. And so by the time we got to San Francisco, they laid us over. The next morning, uh, and I was senior on the on my flight, and my whole crew were almost brand new hi- new hires. So the first thing the next morning, uh, one of my crew members called and told me to turn on the TV and try to call home. And, uh, of course, we couldn't get through to anybody anybody on the East Coast. My family in Pennsylvania, my you know son in Florida, my husband and other family in New Jersey, we couldn't get through to anybody. So, um, And then uh, the airlines called and they moved us 
they actually moved me and my crew across the street to a lockdown hotel that was owned by United and, you know, it was a, a pretty secure and very well supplied uh, hotel. And I was there until following Saturday. <clears throat> my crew were the only Newark crew. Um, that hotel usually housed a lot of international crews. So uh, we were all there for the whole week. And uh, I finally got in touch with uh, my son that afternoon in Florida. And unfortunately, it was his 30th birthday. Mm. And um, he had heard about it and was on his way to work and pulled off to some place he knew had a CD um, and watched from there all day long. He actually called United and wanted to know where I was. And they said the computers were locked down and they couldn't tell him and he was not going to hang up until they told him where his mother was. Oh, my God. Um, Unbelievable. My other son was um, six years younger than him. He was still living at home. Um, but Mike down in Florida was the first one I got in ho- a hold of. Follow-up to that is uh, very shortly after that, Mike joined the military. Uh, he did two tours. He's down here in Florida. And... Uh, and then he was at McGill Air Force Base when he retired, mostly due to some medical problems as a result of his tours. Uh, he would still like to be in there. But at his uh, at his retirement ceremony, when he was mentioning everybody and thanking everybody, and he just looked at me and said, Mom, you know why I had to go. And that kind of got me. <laughs> Because uh, for years, he would not celebrate his birthday because to him it wasn't his birthday. It was the day he didn't lose his mom. Mm. Uh, It's very hard for a lot of the Newark people. Uh, I have yet to go to Pennsylvania. I've tried twice to go to New York and got as far as Chinatown. Um, Never afraid of anything before that. After that, I went back to flying. A lot of people didn't. my leftover is uh, any loud noise will send me through the ceiling, which it never did before. And I have a hard time breathing. Um, and it's just, it's just that. It'll pass fast. But, you know, it just never was before, and I can't get over it now. Well, Colleen, how brave you were to uh, be on the air with us tonight, and I appreciate you doing we this part. I know do. it was very difficult. Hey, Neil, this is Chuck. Hey, Chuck. Uh, today, I, I ran into a, uh, on the Internet, a, uh, a, a thing from the Air Force Academy graduation. Uh, Heather L- uh, Lucky Penny was the speaker, and she uh, had a very emotional graduation uh, ceremony, so to speak. And she told about her experience. Um, if anybody uh, wants to hear it, it's about 40 minutes long. I think it was um, something worthwhile to to hear her uh, exactly what uh, her emotions were and everything. And um, maybe if you have a chance, you just look her name up, and then you'll see where she's uh, at the Air Force Academy graduation. And... Um, I think it's a it's a really nice um, presentation. You know, I would every like year, to have seen that before reading her lines. 
Yeah, yeah. You remember, Neil, a few a few years back, uh, I had seen uh, uh, Lieutenant, uh, she's not a lieutenant any longer, but Penny, uh, in somewhere on the Internet around that time. And I mm-hmm. mentioned to you about wanting to have her on the show, if we could do that. You yeah. said, go ahead and do that if you can get a hold of her, which I did, and she said she would, but she couldn't do it on uh, the date, but she'd yeah. be able to get there at another time to talk because uh, she does all these uh, presentations and and speeches yeah. at all of the 9-11, uh, and it starts sometimes a week ahead of time to several days afterwards. And as it turned out, she couldn't do it because she was going to call from the base that she was at, and she couldn't do it. Something yeah. went on either on our end or her end. I think it was the hurricane that year that that you were at the Reaper convention. You had to come home, and we never yeah, did. In Birmingham, it. yeah. Right. Well, we, we try every year to do a a tribute to 9/11, uh, and um, it's uh, it's different every year. I remember last year we had the uh, first officer, I believe, that uh, uh, or was that another flight? I believe it was on one of those flights that uh, it was supposed to have been his flight, but someone sat in right. for him. Right. That was and, it. Uh, yeah, and so every year we try to do. Uh, uh, recognition of, of uh, brave, brave, brave people that protect our country and uh, willing to give their lives for it, like Penny and uh, the role that Jim Holder, Sass, is that was his nickname, I believe, Sass, she called him, Sass. the other guy yes. on the airplane, yeah. But, um, you mean the major? Yeah, the major, yeah. Yeah. And uh, but thanks so much, all of you guys, for uh, doing a great job of uh, reading the parts, and and um, it was very uh, emotional, I'm sure, for all of you. Was for me. What you said, Neil, about the pilot that was supposed to have been on one of those flights. Uh That's very difficult. That's very difficult for someone to. Two of the flight attendants on Flight 93 had traded, Um, and the two that, you know, traded Mm. off of the trip, um, one never went back to flying. She had a very tough time getting over it. And uh, the other one, um, the other, okay, Wanda Green, one of the flight attendants, her good friend was Danita Judge, and Danita Mm. was going to law school. She's now a judge, actually. But she was going to law school. And Wanda Wanda was going to be retiring in October. She had two teenage children. And Danita was her best friend. Danita was studying for law school. So Wanda took her trip that day. And um, Mm. I believe Danita ended up as guardian of Wanda's children. Oh, wow. Uh, What a story. Well, they were good good friends. She took her flight that day. Mm. Well. Yeah. 
Dorothy, I think now you uh, would like to recognize one of our hosts and talk about one of our own hosts yes, I would. Uh, that you just heard get... tonight, Jim Holder. Right. Go ahead. Tell us about Jim, Dorothy. Well, before I do that, I just want to mention that uh, you mentioned all about our prayers going for the people uh, that were involved in the uh, Dorian, and one of those was a member of ours, Bill Bowen, who joined us December 28, 2010. Uh, He's 79 years old now. He lived in Treasure Cay, Abaco, Bahamas, so... He's one of those people who would ask for prayers. Uh, we don't know how he made out of where he is or any of that, but just keep him in your prayers. Um, also, um, I'd like to mention we, we want to thank all of our sponsors, uh, but before we talk about Reaper, who is one of our sponsors, uh, we have uh, Jim Holder that's going to give a report on the Retired Eastern Pilots reunion. However, before Jim gives his report uh, from all of the team here, we want to congratulate Jim on what we heard. And the last thing at the banquet on Thursday night was a big surprise by Bud Robbins for Jim Holder. He made a nice presentation, which surprised Jim Holder to no end. He was given the very first REPA Lifetime Appreciation Award. And now we'll turn it over to Jim Holder and have him tell us all about receiving his award and what went on. Jim, may we please have you, and congratulations from the team. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I don't have anything to report about it, except that uh, normally I guess I could say something, but uh, that night uh, I had tears in my eyes, and all I could say is, boy, y'all too surprised me. And that's it. I do have a few things to say about uh, Kennesaw, where we went. We did have to, a few had to cancel due to the hurricane, but we still had 50 folks who showed up. And what we saw, they had a really good time. I mean, a really good time. And this was a reunion two nights instead of three. We changed the name from convention. We didn't have any speakers or entertainers. It was much more of a gathering. Our Eastern Flight Ops room was not only the location for registration, but we gave it there for conversations and to watch hundreds of Eastern aircraft photos and a presentation put on by Johnny Steinmetz. It was also the room for our business uh, meeting, which we had. And uh, we had an auction of many, 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 I'll say it again, many donated items. I don't know. How many we had? Probably the largest donor was Barry Webb. She's the widow of Captain Robert Webb. She filled up a big, large box last April or somewhere like that, and bags. And I went over there and got them in Fayetteville at her husband's ceremonies. And we had a usual auctioneer, Jim Gardner. Everybody knows Jim Gardner, and he did an amazing and very entertaining job of the auction, which was resulted in just about everything there being uh, bought or whatever you might call it. And it was $1,002 was collected. Amazing. $1,002. Oh, that's wonderful. I know it, boy. Which was donated to Eastern Captain O.A. Fish, who would use it to expand his South Mountain Christian Camp for Boys and Girls in Bostick, North Carolina. And we had a raffle. We always have a raffle. 
drawing the tickets. This time I didn't have to sit around and sell tickets all the time. We put the <laughs> tickets in the registration, and everybody had one ticket, and everybody had a chance to win. And the winners were $100, Alice Petter, and $200, Norma Nichols. And I was walking around with a bag of tickets, and I said, would you mind pulling the next ticket? She said, certainly. And she pulled it out and was her own that dumb ticket. She won $200. Everybody <laughs> oh, laughed about that. $300 was won by Charlotte Fish, O.A.'s wife. That might end up going to that South Mountain thing, too. And the biggie, the big $400, Bud Robbins won that. We had a free night drawing, which worked out to be for the night $146. And former Eastern Flight Attendant Marge Robertson won that. Won that. She was the first one to sign up, I think. Maybe not the first, but she was pretty close on. But it was a drawing. And, of course, we're required by the bylaws to annual meeting that we did that. And it seems like everybody loved this two nights and all that and found favor with the members. So we're planning another such reunion next year, and it might be right back to the Embassy Suites in Kennesaw because we couldn't ask for a better place. It's sort of close for everybody, even the people that came from Florida thought it was close. And Louis Chris is right there off the lobby, and they did all of our banquet food and everything else, and uh, just a first-class table grade, excellent place to eat. And for some reason, we amended the bylaws to include a second member at large. I have no idea why. And uh, elected for 2020 were President Johnny Steinmetz for again another term, Vice President Richard Burnett for another term, Secretary Bert Roberts for another term, Treasurer Jerry Frost for another term, member at large, yours faithfully, who was also in the second term, another <laughs> term, and the new member at large, John Shirley, the new fellow, and that's the end of my report. Okay, well, Jim, I'm not letting you off that easy because I'm going oh, to no tell us what you ended up getting, uh, which was an extremely nice, large glass structure with the Alpha American Trans Air, Eastern Airlines, and retired Eastern Pilot Association engraved on it. And Buzz listed Jim's Alpha and Reaper history in the presentation, which included his 15 or so years service as a member and later as a chairman of the Alpha Appeal Board, including becoming the chairman emeritus upon Jim's departure. Most I members can't pronounce never, it either. <laughs> right. Most members had never heard about the Appeal Board, but it no. is the highest authority in Alpha. At the conclusion, our Jim was speechless, if everybody can believe it, probably for the first time ever. They gave him a standing ovation. So, Jim, from all of us, we sincerely thank you for all you've done and so happy for you. So, congratulations, team. How about it?
uh, we too, some uh, of you are listening and will join us sometime and tell us all about their memory of Eastern. All of the names have been posted on our website under the home page sponsors tab. And remember, donations of $40 or more will entitle you to receive a copy of Neil's book, The Wings of Many. Um, we also have our Thursday program, uh, some of the Eastern memories coming up on September 12th when Neil will do a great reading from one of the Eastern files, and then followed by Thursday, September 19th, the Old Time Radio, and uh, we have had a few difficulties in the last several weeks, so we do apologize for that. But we're holding on, and we'll be back to do those. Now, our Monday night program, we hope you join us next week. We're going to have uh, the good news of the Eastern Airlines come back. And then followed by, uh, we think we're not quite sure if we're doing an annual EAL Radio Show Hall of Fame, but if we're not, we'll have another great program for you. And then we have scams that seniors face today followed by Popery of Eastern Memories and Letters. And, boy, we have a great program lineup, as you can see, so please join us every single Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks, folks, and back to you, Neil. Well, uh, the hosts Neil, carry the show, make the show. Make, yeah, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, uh, a long time ago I was at a QB meeting, and a guy was sitting close to me and he looked familiar just about 20 years ago and I said hey do I know you you know yeah we know each other found out he was an instructor at Craig Air Force Base in Selma Alabama when I was a student and uh his name was Dewey Wayne Waddell retired Air Force Colonel and he later I'll give you the short version he later was shot down over North Vietnam and uh, was in POW for like 2,070 days and then was released. Wow. Well, anyhow, uh, on March 4th, I forgot the exact year. But anyhow, I invited him to come speak to us at our reaper luncheon, and he is going to do it tomorrow morning or noon tomorrow. And we expected a large crowd. If anybody's on the radio show here in Atlanta wants to come hear what he has to say, it will be at the Piccadilly Cafeteria right off Old National Highway and just south of the airport. I think we're going to have a great presentation, and uh, we got room for a lot of people. And I am really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. <laughs> well, I know you guys uh, there in Atlanta do a great job. Virgil runs the luncheon, uh, and uh, uh, sometimes it's joke. Uh, it's a joke luncheon. You don't have a speaker, but uh, I'm sure it's very, very, very entertaining to listen to the jokes, mm-hmm. whether they uh, have been heard many, many times before. Uh, it's always uh, good to hear these uh, these uh, reports for the luncheons. And, uh, Jim, anytime you want to uh, do a report, we'd, we'd like to carry that on our website uh, if you'd like to, for us to promote anything on the radio or yeah. on the website. Well, I, like I you said, thank... most of the time, yeah, most of the time recently we just tell lies and war stories and <laughs> jokes, but this is going to be a biggie tomorrow. Yeah, that sounds like it. I wish we could record it and mm-hmm. and replay it on yeah. our radio show. 
But uh, mm-hmm. I want to thank Dorothy for just maintaining a fabulous website, keeping all the listeners, over a 1,000 listeners, I think it's 1,027 now, right. uh, members of uh, of the website. And uh, certainly a lot of them uh, are listening and uh, listen to the archive, at least, of our shows. And um, this was a very, uh, very great show. I usually rate a show after, and usually I call Dorothy on the way home and, and complain about this, that, and the other, and um, try to say, you know, it was it was an okay show, but usually I put it in my little logbook. I keep a little logbook about these shows that we do. And I put stars beside them. Well, tonight I don't have enough stars to put on this show. It was just incredible. And the contribution, especially Colleen, your contribution of uh, of uh, your knowledge of that uh, of that day, which we remember every year. And we'll continue as long as the radio show is still on the air. Show. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a great show. Keep the flags up. Neil, <laughs> well, you guys do. You you guys carry the show, and thank you so much. You, and Jim Hart got... stands by and listening. And uh, we 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 love to hear your voice, Jim Hart. Say something. Just say hello or whatever. See if you're still there. <laughs> hello, I am still here. Is that Jim well, Hart? Yeah. Hey, oh, oh, I forgot to ask. We've got a couple of callers on the line. Would you like to make some comments? We've got one well, from West you, Palm Beach. And- I just, yes, this is Pat Barron. I want to say hey to Jim Hart, and I want to say a special hey to Jim Moonpie Holder. <laughs> Watch <laughs> out. His wife's on the board. <laughs> Who's that uh, called me Moonpie? <laughs> it's Pat Barron. <laughs> Oh, Pat, hey, girl. How are you and Miss Carrie? Oh, my goodness. Well, we won't reminisce on the radio, but gosh, it was so good to hear your voice, Jim. And Jim Hart, too. And Pat, you're one of the silver are you not? I'm sorry. Good to hear you. And Pat is one of the silver liners? Well, I'm not. Active in the silver liners, but I'm in the silver liners. You know what I'm saying? I'm, uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm peddling real estate, and that keeps me a lot busier than I thought it would. Yeah. Good for you. Are you coming to our Christmas party this year? I would love to come. Are you having it in Atlantis again? Yes. Huh? I will make every effort. Okay. All that right. would be good. Yeah. We got a caller also from uh, Seattle area, 253. Would you like to make a comment? I think it's 253. Hi, this is Betty Foster from Gig Harbor, Washington. Hey, Hello, Betty. Don and Dorothy. Hey, hey, Don. Hey, Booper, how you doing? Pretty good. You sound Growing great. Growing web <laughs> You sound terrific. <laughs> Send me, uh, send me uh, an email so I can uh, get your phone number. I want to talk to you. Okay, will do. Thank you. Great. Uh-huh. Great. Great show tonight, guys. We're very, gonna nice. put... very good. Thank you. Uh, and I think, Betty, you were with us the whole time here. Or, or... I was. Yeah, yeah very good. 
calls in because she does listen to us occasionally, and we do appreciate that Excellent. so much. Yeah. The time difference okay. throws me off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we, we 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 sometimes we uh, I hesitate, and I have to ask my technical advisor, Emery Martinelli, uh, is in another room, and I shout to him, "Who's area code two five three, or who's area code five six one?" And he looks it up for me real fast, and and then when I don't have Emery, it seems like we get an obscene call. <laughs> which we had this past Thursday, right, Dorothy? Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the oh, second man. obscene call we had in over eight years. That's pretty good. That's oh, pretty good. Without yeah. a filter. So we don't have a time delay. <laughs> yeah, on your watch. Yeah. It had to be on my show. <laughs> yeah, it had to be. I wonder oh. who, who out there you upset. <laughs> but... Uh, it's fun doing these shows, and I certainly thank our, our host and our listeners and callers. Thank you so much. We're going to land the airplane. It's about time to get it on the ground. Let's see if we can get a squeaker out of this one. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great landing, Captain. Be sure to tune in again next Monday, September 16, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyber waves and the radio show takes us to points yet to be determined. And this is Jim Hart signing off on behalf of our host, Dorothy Gagnon, Don Gagnon, Chuck Albright, Jim Holder, Mike Scott, Colleen DeFelice, Carrie Holder, playing sign-off music made popular by the champagne music man himself, Lawrence Welk, and one and a two and a three. Good night, Eastern family and friends around the world. And good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are. We love you, Eastern. We love you. We love you. you. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, 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 everyone. Great night. Good night. Good night.
Good night. Oh, Don't forget the flag.